Today, we're continuing the sermon series at looking at the wisdom that the book of Proverbs offers us on a whole host of topics. And today, whether you're here in person or watching online, it is your lucky day. Because today, we're going to talk about money. I know. It's, aren't you glad that you tuned in? Because if we're honest, the church has such a great reputation when it comes to money. A little bit joking there, because it's usually full of guilt trips and pressure. For example, I once read a story of a man who called a church and he asked if he could speak to the head hog at the trough. The lady who answered the phone said, who? And he said, I want to speak to the head hog at the trough. And she replied, sir, if, you're, if you mean the pastor, well then you need to refer to him with just a bit more respect. And he said, oh, well, I wanted to talk to him about donating $10,000 to your church. Hold on, she said. I think the big pig just walked in. <laughs> One word on the front end today, relax. Yes, it's about money, but no, it's not about guilt or pressure. It's all about wisdom, wisdom for life. And it's not primarily about giving. It's about loans and debt and savings and the poor. Yes, giving is a part of it, but no, it's not the main point. So the first and main thing that Proverbs says to us about money is to not make money everything in our life. Don't put your trust in money. Proverbs 11:28 puts it this way, says, "Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf." And the idea of trust is significant. You see, when you trust in something, you rely on it. You count on it. You depend on it. And I know that trusting in money is a huge temptation. Trusting in it to bring us security, to bring us happiness, to bring us fulfillment. We trust in money to take care of us to take care of our families and our lives. We trust it for our sense of self-worth, self-esteem. But the reason, the reason that it is such a temptation to trust in money for these things is because everything in our culture tells us to. Everything in this world says that money is the only thing that can be counted on. People marry for money, and many people divorce for money. We will compromise our morals, our standards, and our ethics for monetary gain. We'll skip out on God's 
calling for our lives. So avoid certain jobs in order to pursue that job that pays the best. We make money the end of life rather than being this servant. So the, the wisdom of Proverbs is that it's an empty trust. It's a false trust when we trust in money. Now I know someone may read this proverb and they may then drive home in their nice car to their nice home and say, I, I don't really think I'm suffering. But Jesus once told a story about this. He told of a man who made money everything in his life. And God one day said to him, he called him a fool. He said, you don't know that you're going to die and you're going to die soon. And all of this money will mean absolutely nothing. And yet, your decision to make money all that your life surrounds will mean everything. And now that your life is over, you will see just how little you had. Which leads us leads me to the second area dealing with wisdom and money. And yes, this is the one that will make us just a bit uptight. It's about giving. See, the key test to whether or not you trust God or you trust money has to do with giving. Let me show you the Proverbs and wisdom on this. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. You see, that's a principle that's all throughout the Bible. We are to give and if we do, we will never outgive God. That's a critical test. Will you trust God to provide money? Or will you trust money over God? Let's move on to the next area. I told you giving was going to be a short area. Let's move on to the next area. A section of Proverbs that has to look at loans and debt. Because really, I'm going to look at them together because they're really two sides of the same coin. Loans are when you are letting someone borrow from you and debt is when you are the one doing the borrowing. So let's look at what Proverbs has to say. It says, My child, if you put up security for a friend's debt or agree to guarantee the debt of a stranger, if you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you said, follow my advice and save yourself from for you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride. Go and beg to have your name erased. Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. Then in Proverbs 11, we read this. There's danger in putting up security for a stranger's debt. It's safer not to guarantee another person's debt. 
Proverbs 22 puts it this way. Just as the rich rule over the poor, so the borrower is a servant to the lender. And then finally, Proverbs 22 says this. Don't agree to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for someone else. If you can't pay it, even your bed will be snatched from under you. So as a general rule, the Bible says don't borrow. Don't lend. And more accurately, don't secure the debt of another. See, you might not get repaid and could be dragged down by another person's debt. And for most of us, it's the second part that is most common. See, we as a society have become the servant of the lender. Just think about credit cards. If you have one credit card and the balance is just $3,000, you're not behind. In fact, you're making the minimum monthly payment on time each and every month like clock. No problem, right? How long do you think it will take you to pay off that $3,000? You see, a credit card with a $3,000 balance, paying the minimum payments, which is usually about 2% of the balance, and the average current credit card interest rate is about 18%. If you pay that minimum balance every month, it will take you 37 years and seven months. Nearly 40 years to pay off $3,000. And you will have paid almost $11,000 at the end of it. Nearly $8,000 in interest just for $3,000. Now, Let's get a little bit more realistic this morning because the average American household has over $8,000 in credit card debt. One debt management company reported that the typical person who comes to them has at least six credit cards and over $18,000 in debt. But let's just look at the average. The average is about $8,000. I ran that through this same metric to figure out how long it would take to pay off $8,000. Now, first, I wanted to be generous, and rather than an 18% interest, which is what the average is, I looked at just a 12% interest credit card. And I'm going to give them an extra benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say they're going to pay double the monthly minimum payment. I mean, that's in good shape, right? You're paying double the monthly minimum. you got a fairly low interest rate. How long do you think it's going to take you to pay that off? You see, at that rate, 144, 143 months. Almost 12 years still paying double the monthly minimum of payment almost 12 years. 
nearly $3,000 in interest. But then I decided maybe I should be more realistic. I gave them the benefit of the doubt with a low interest credit card. So what if it's not a low interest credit card? What if it is that average rate of 18% and they're not paying the, double the monthly minimum, they're paying just the monthly minimum? Nearly 54 years. Nearly 54 years to pay off $8,000. And the interest is nearly three times what you spent. And this is just credit card debt. See, this is why the Bible tells us to be careful with debt. To not let it get out of hand because it can and it will enslave us if we let it. Now, does that mean that all debt is bad? No matter what it's for, that it's all bad? No. Debt in general is frowned upon in the Bible, but it doesn't prohibit debt. You see, in normal economic times, you can make a strong case, both financially and biblically, that accepting debt towards an appreciable asset, like land or a house or a building, or perhaps in connection with a well-thought-out business loan that will provide you some working capital to start a business or to fund your education, is not only appropriate, but at times even strategic but if we're honest that's not the kind of debt that most people are enslaved to most of us are drowning in consumer debt lifestyle debt debt for convenience and pleasure and it's impacting our marriages our self-esteem and every aspect of the quality of our lives. Now let's move on to the fourth area that Proverbs looks at, and that is savings. See, Proverbs is clear on this one, as clear as it can get. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Proverbs 10 puts it this way, He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. And then Proverbs 21 puts it this way, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. See, the Bible encourages us to save. And the reason is because of the future. And it's not just about wealth building. It's about security and providing for our needs. Because without savings, you'll end up living paycheck to paycheck with little to nothing in reserve. And truth be told, that's where a lot of us are 
aren't we? See, only one out of every five Americans after their debt has over $25,000 in assets. That means 80% of us have less than $25,000 of any kind of real money. And that's just not enough. We learned in this time of a pandemic that people lost jobs, they lost income. If you get laid off, if you become suddenly, if your income suddenly is reduced, how long could you survive? A week? A month? How long would it be before you would start to lose everything? For most of us, everything's fine as long as that next paycheck comes in. But if it doesn't, everything around us starts to fall apart. And that's why a wise person saves. You see, it's also about making sure that we, can ha that we have what we know we're going to need to have. Retirement, health care, those aren't unplanned, unexpected emergencies. They are absolute realities. So how do you build a nest egg? Proverbs actually tells us. It's one of the most important financial insights that you can ever learn. But amazingly, few people ever get it. And it's captured in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 11 where it says this, a simple verse, he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. That is the secret to wealth building. Take a little bit of money and you start it growing. The miracle of compounding interest. Let me give you some concrete examples of this. Let's say there's a couple, a married couple, in their mid-30s. If each of them were to save $10 a day, not every day, let's just say five out of seven days of the week, about $200 a month each, so $2,400 a year. If they were to put that in a pre-tax retirement account that earned approximately 12% annually. Now, I know economic times right now aren't super, and 12% is a little bit hard to get right now, but in normal econo economic times, 12% is a fairly good average. If they did this, by the time they were 65 years of age at retirement, they would have a nest egg of $2.3 million. $400 a month, starting at age 35. You see, it's all about interest and time. And don't underestimate the time portion of that, because let me give you another example. Let's say you're single and you're 25 years old. There may be some in this room or watching online that this falls into. If you're in your mid-20s and you only put away $200 a month, half as much as what this couple does, but you start 10 years earlier. 
by the time you're 65, you will have more than the, than the couple putting away twice as much. You would have $2.37 million. That's the difference 10 years can make. That's the secret of compounding interest. Over time, money compounds. Over a lot of time, money compounds a lot. Let me get realistic here with you. If you put, if you're that 25-year-old and you put away $200 a month, by the time you're 65, you can have $2.37 million. If you wait five years and you start at age 30, you will have $1.3 million. And if you wait till you're 40, if you wait till you're 40, you will have $380,000. You see the difference time makes? There's no tricks here. Getting the savings and the reserves that you need is nothing more than committing and sticking to a systematic savings and investment plan and doing it as soon as you can. On to the fifth principle. And this has to do with our financial responsibility to the poor. See, this is different than a call to give in general. There are three basic types of giving. The first and most foundational is what we call the tithe. The word tithe literally means 10%. Taking 10% of everything that we earn, whether it's through labor or inheritance, windfall or sale, and giving it to God through the local church that we are a part of. Second type of giving are the offerings. An offering is anything you give above and beyond the tithe. See, 10% was considered to be the bare minimum anyone would dream of returning to God. That's because that's what he specifically asks us for. But out of gratitude and out of a commitment to God, people would give an offering above and beyond that 10%. This is also to be done through your local church. The tithes and offerings aren't about giving to the United Way or disaster relief, as important as those things are, but giving to your local church of which you are a part. So if you give here at TAF or you give online, if you mark that as tithe, that money doesn't actually stay here locally. That money will be sent to the Carolina Conference, the Seventh-day Adventists, and that will help to fund the sisterhood of churches both here in the Carolinas and actually worldwide. But that money doesn't stay here, which is why we, it's so important for you to, to give an offering, because that is what impacts us locally. Then the third type of giving are gifts. 
This is giving above and beyond the tithe and the offerings. And these aren't necessarily tied to a church. As Christians, we're called to be generous to the needs of those around us. And specifically, to the poor. Let me read you some verses in Proverbs that show this. In Proverbs chapter 14, it says, He who despises his neighbor sins. But blessed is he who is kind to the needy. Who, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Then in Proverbs 19, it puts it this way. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. And he will repay you. Proverbs 21 puts it this way. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their time of need. And Proverbs 22, 9 says, Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. Proverbs 28 puts it this way. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. But he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. Two big ideas when it comes to our money and the poor. First, we are to care for them. Care about their needs. Care about their situation. And that's why we, as a local church, a large part of our local budget goes to helping those less fortunate. We have those in our midst who every single week feed the poor. We don't do it so that they come to this church. We do it because they need it. Because that's what Jesus would do. We're to be kind to them not take advantage of them. Our hearts should be open and tender to them. I've once heard it said this way, the way you treat someone who is weak, someone who's vulnerable, someone who's defenseless is the clearest window into your heart. How you treat the poor reveals your heart toward God. They are his children. They are his creation. Just as much as we are. But that's not all. The second big idea about how we are to treat the poor will determine how God interacts with us and our financial situation. And we don't give so that God gives back to us. If you have a, but if you have a heart for the poor, God will have a heart for you. If we give, we will be blessed. If we don't, we won't be. So beyond our commitment to God with our money through tithes and offerings, when we have the opportunity, when we have the means and we see that prompting to do something for the poor, on top of those things, we should do it. There should be a commitment to those 
who are less fortunate than we are. So that's your wisdom for money. The big pig is done now. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for the wisdom that you give us in the book of Proverbs when it comes to money. So many churches get it all wrong and they only focus on the giving. They pressure their members. Help us never to do that. Help us to look at your wisdom and to know that you want us to be financially secure so that we can reach those far from you. Help us to have a commitment to helping the poor. Not so that we can win them to you, but because that is what you would do. Help us to make that commitment, Jesus.